Anytime that we can get the kids uh, up front, we do. Uh, and uh, why? Because Jesus made kids a priority. Amen? Amen? Jesus loves kids, and so we're called to love kids as a church as well. So anytime we can get them up front uh, here, we do. It's why we don't apologize ever for the emphasis on children and family that we do here at Hope. It's why we do everything that we do. It's why we have Hope Kids, uh, not only on sat- our Sundays at 9:15 and 11, but on Saturdays as well. So if any of you that are sitting next to the women's bathroom need a little bit more elbow room, uh, you know why we need more space. And so Hope Kids is offered on Saturdays uh, as well. We encourage you to check that out. But it's why we do everything we do throughout the year uh, as well. We have a parenting on uh, uh, the art of parenting class that's going on right now, which just kicked off last Sunday as an introduction week. But parents, we would love to have you join us for that. Child care is available tonight. That starts at four o'clock. Just an awesome opportunity to meet other parents and grow uh, in your parenting uh, skills as well. It's why we do things throughout the year, uh, like the daddy-daughter dance will be coming up in February as well. All sorts of things we do around Christmas. Uh, Of course, Vacation Bible School, our all-out Jesus party in the summer that everybody is open to from the entire uh, community, our Wiz Kids uh, uh, ministry that meets on Thursdays, where we reach out to kids here in the neighborhood, particularly that maybe come from difficult family backgrounds and situations. All kids are God's kids, and so we're cared to, uh, called to care for all of them, regardless of their financial or housing status, or regardless of whether they've ever walked inside the walls of a church or not. God loves kids. And so why, why have kids lead us in worship? Well, number one, it's just really cute. Uh, and, and number two, uh, because their hearts are all in. I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's th- their hearts are full of joy and they're so receptive to God's love. It's really hard to be in a bad mood after seeing that, right? It's like, you may have come this morning, like, I don't want to go to church. I'm kind of grumpy and I got a full pot of coffee and everything like that. It's hard to be grumpy after watching kids sing. Uh, and, and that's just that the way that God wired it up. Their hearts are all in. They receive God's love so openly, which is maybe what God wants for all of us. And so I want to start with a question today. Wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting today, how's your heart? How's your heart today? What's the condition of your heart below the surface? Not, I don't want the, the church surface level Christian answer where you just put on the mask and everything's fine. Like, how are you really doing? you think about that? Jesus talks about the heart more than anything else in scripture. How's your heart doing today? Underneath the surface, how's the real you? Is it filled with joy today? Is it filled with passion? Do you have a, do you have a deep sense of peace today? Do you like where your life is headed? Are, are, you, are you satisfied with life today? How's your heart? Because as it turns out, that's what Jesus is after today is the real you is the real you. And just as those kids are so filled with God's joy and his love, that's what God wants for you today. So you may have come to watch cute kids sing, but I hope that what you'll realize is that Jesus is after your heart today, the real you. And that's what Jesus is after in our scripture reading from Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to camp out today. If you've got your Bible app uh, on your phone, feel free to take out your phone. And if you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. We would encourage you to do that. Uh, Luke chapter 12. So we are continuing a series today uh, called Stories of Us, Stories of Us in the Gospel of Luke. And so the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we've been looking at uh, these stories, these parables that Jesus is telling. Last week we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and today we're in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is teaching a large crowd, and he's interrupted by somebody that kind of wants Jesus to be his lawyer. Now, if Jesus walked in here this morning, I'd be like off the stage. I'd be like, all yours, sir. If Jesus was preaching, would you interrupt him? 
Probably not, right? But this guy has the audacity to, and he's thinking, well, who better to arbitrate my legal matters than God himself, okay? So this guy comes to Jesus, and he wants him to be his lawyer to, so he can get his portion of the inheritance that he thinks is coming his way. But instead of getting wrapped up in all the details, Jesus sees, well, he, he does what he often does. He sees right through us. Past all the barriers and the walls and the masks and the facades that we put up to, to try to look the part, Jesus sees right through this man and into the condition of, get this, his heart. And Jesus says this in verse 15 in response to him. Let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In other words, this wasn't an accounting issue. This was a heart issue. This man that approached Jesus, his priorities were all out of whack. And instead of living for what matters, he was living for the immediacy of this world. Jesus essentially says, check your heart. Not just to the man in the story, but to all of us today. This theme of the heart is all throughout scripture. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who said, King Solomon said to be one of the wisest men to ever live, picks up on this in chapter four, verse 23. Let's read this together, even the funky writing there. Let's read it together. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What if we actually lived like that? Like what if we actually took care of our soul and tended to the needs of our heart in a spiritual sense? As much as we, a lot of us look under the hood of our own car to check its condition more than we look under the hood of our own heart. How are you really doing today? How, what's the condition of your, above all else? Why would God say that? Because everything else flows from it. Our life, our passions, our motivations, our fears, the, the, the reason we make the decisions that we do. Everything flows from it, including something as practical as our money and our possessions, which is what Jesus is addressing in our story today. This isn't the first time Jesus has talked about money or possessions in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if you want to know someone's heart, watch how they handle their money and their possessions. If you think about it, if we believe that everything that we have, all of our money, our possessions, our titles, our positions, all of it is ours, and we believe that true security is found in keeping as much of our money and possessions as we can to ourselves, we're going to live a, a stingy life. We're going to live a fear-based life. We're going to live a worry-filled life trying to protect our treasure instead of this picture that we get in the early church of, of Christians that were just known for their radical generosity. And, and it makes me think about, oftentimes in the church, I kind of cringed when I looked at this passage today because I know we have a lot of visitors today. And one of the things that people find when they come to hope is that, oh, you're not going to beat me over the head and talk about money all the time? No, we're going to talk about the heart. But the problem is in the church is that often we fall into one of two extremes, one of two ditches when it comes to passages like this in terms of money and possessions. One ditch is that, well, we just never want to talk about it because we know people have had bad experiences and the last thing we want to do is, you know, offend you. The problem is Jesus offended people all the time and that's what got him killed. Jesus challenged people's assumptions, not intentionally, but he challenged them when our priorities in life don't match up with God's word. 
And so we kind of run the risk of saying, well, I don't want to possibly offend anybody and talk about money in church, heaven forbid, so I'm going to live in that ditch. Well, the problem is a lot of churches have swung to the other extreme, and maybe for some of you, if you've had a bad experience with church or Christianity, this is probably one of the top reasons why, is that a lot of churches swing to the other extreme in the ditch, and all we ever do is talk about money, right? There's one more pastor, you know, that, that needs our money and says, you know, fork over the cash, you know, because that's all the church wants is your money. I've got really good news for you. Neither of those ditches are biblical approaches. Instead, Jesus says, find the narrow road. And here's the really good news. God doesn't need your money as much as we need to give it. God doesn't need your money. The church does, and you can do that, but God doesn't need your money as much as we need to give it, and that's because it produces joy. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. So the opposite of hoarding it all and keeping it to yourself is God loves a cheerful giver. The word in Greek there for cheerful in the ancient Greek is hilarion, and that's where we get the English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious, joy-filled giving. That's why we like to have a lot of fun during the offering, because it should be one of the most joy-filled times of the service. Because giving produces joy. Because Jesus wants to set your heart free. It's not like, well, I, I should give or I have to give. I get to give. Whether it's my time, my talent, or my treasure. And why does Jesus say that? Because he knows how easy money and possessions get their hooks in us and enslave us to these things. When I do marriage counseling, far and away the top two things that couples, couples that have been married a year, five years, 10 years, 30 years come in with, it's either conflict or communication struggles or it's money. Conflict or communication or money. No wonder that Jesus talks more about money and possessions in the New Testament than heaven and hell combined. Because it matters. And we're not going to be the kind of church that shies away from difficult topics when, when Jesus addresses them head on. Jesus says, I want to set your heart free from worry and fear and experience the joy of giving, which so many of you have. And the thing is, I don't have to rail on that today because you're an incredibly generous church because your hearts are in the right place. It's a natural overflow of your heart. But the problem is a lot of times we find ourselves like the rich man in Luke chapter 12 who's got bins full of grain. He's got a measurable wealth but lives in this constant state of hoarding. And the only way I, I'm trying to think about that, what's a modern example? Because I'm guessing a lot of you don't have uh, bins full of grain at home unless you are on the farm or you own some property in the country or something. But for a lot of you, like, ah, that's not my issue today. So I was trying to think of more of a modern example of what it looks like when we are consumed by everything that we're trying to keep and hoard and own and keep to ourselves. And the only thing I could think of is our good friend, George Costanza. Yeah, I know. Seinfeld is an episode about everything. And this particular episode is called The Exploding Wallet. Take a look. Oh, George. That episode literally called The Exploding Wallet. For George, he couldn't let go. I can't let go of any receipt or anything in my wallet and to the point where it consumed him. It consumed him. And whether your wallet is full or your bins are full, it's easy for money and possessions to get their hooks in you and be the driving force in your life to be consumed. And that's what the man discovers in Luke 12. If you've got your Bibles, look at Luke 12, skip down to verse 16. It says, Jesus told him this parable. 
The ground of a rich young man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, because he's convinced, like a lot of us are, that bigger is better and more is better. And there I'll store my surplus grain, verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, it would be easy to read that story and think, you know, John, I'm going to check out because I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money, so this isn't really a sermon for me. And it would be easy to assume, well, this, this passage is all about money and possessions. But dig a little bit deeper, and I think we'll actually find that, believe it or not, this story is all about the heart and your heart and my heart. This man in the story, his sense of security, his sense of value, his sense of purpose was coming from one place. I've got enough. But the problem is, what many of you have maybe discovered, you will never be able to say, I have enough. There was a survey done several years ago, and they interviewed people of all different income levels all over the country. And they said, based on your income level, what, what define rich? What would be enough for you? How would you know when you're rich, when you've arrived? And far and away, by and large, the answer for everybody was roughly twice what they currently have. All different numbers, just based on where you're at. You'll never have enough. And we find that, that that lets this man down a little bit later in the story. There's a fancy word that the Bible uses to describe when we put things above God, when things, even good things and people and relationships become more important and more valuable than God in our lives. And it's called idolatry. Everybody say idol. I'm not talking about the TV show, American Idol. I'm talking about idolatry. And I know when I say idol, a lot of you are thinking like idolatry. Pastor John, isn't that like an Old Testament thing? I mean, people in the Old Testament would make like these bronze, you know, statues or sculptures of cow or cattle, and they'd bow down and, and worship. Anybody have a bronze uh, cow in your front lawn that you worship every day? Nobody? Okay. Like, well, that's not my thing then. But if you look a little bit deeper, we'll find that Scripture defines idols as anything that we give the affection of our hearts to above and beyond God. What, what do you value more than anything else? Where does your hope and security land? For the rich man, it was his wealth, but what about you? I mean, think about it this way for, for a second. Ask yourself, just in, the, in reflecting in your own heart, what am I most passionate about? What do I love more than anything else in this world? What do I absolutely love? What are the things that when I'm laying awake at night that I think about? What are the things that I dream about? What am I giving my heart to? So just to kind of get you started, here's a few ideas that I threw up that I think can become those things in our lives if we're not careful. My stuff, my, my fitness, my friends, my, my, my money, pleasure, substances, right? Good things, our friends and our family, anything that we give our hearts to above God. Certainly the cyclones. Some of you have, need to work on that one a little bit. I don't know how that one, right? I don't know how the Hawkeyes made it up there, but they're, they're up there as well. But good things, right? Our pleasure, my comfort zone. We can even make an idol for some of you. What's more important than God is making sure that you are in control of your life. It's your comfort zone. I, I, I don't want to step, I don't want to take a step of faith. I don't want to do anything that God's calling me to do and we can make an idol out of that. My routine, my schedule, does everything go according to plan? Some of you don't feel okay unless you're in control. And these things can become 
idols to us, whatever it is, even these good things. Now hear me say this, there is nothing inherently wrong with anything on that list except the cyclones. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with anything on that list. There's nothing wrong in the story with a man having bins full of grain that that he had in the story. The Bible never says that money and possessions are bad or that they're evil. But when we worship them, when we make them the driving force of our life, when we think about them more than anything else, that's when we go wrong. All these things are great blessings, but they are terrible gods. Small g gods, because they'll always let you down. They're terrible objects of our worship, because when we worship something, whatever we give our heart to and our affection to, it's going to consume us, and it should fill us up. That's why when a lot of you leave worship here at at, at Hope Des Moines, like, you get wrapped up in something bigger than yourself, and I'm like, I came empty, but I'm leaving filled up. The problem is with all these small g gods, when we give our hearts to them, they'll never satisfy because that's not how you were created. There's nothing bad about any of them, but we were created to worship the giver, not the gifts, to worship the creator, not just the blessings. At some point in our lives, we'll discover it's easy to be rich in everything else and miss what matters most. Watch how the story ends. Look at verse 20. It says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, dude, what's your legacy? Bins full of grain? That's it? That's what's going to live beyond you? Verse 21. This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I want you to hear me loud and clear. The issue with the man that Jesus had with the man in this story had nothing to do with the fact of whether he was wealthy or not. It's that he was wealthy in everything else except the one thing that matters. You can be rich in all of those things and miss the point. Let it not be said at our funerals, at our burial services, head put on our headstone, great, brilliant performance, but you miss the point. Even in those good things, when we worship them, when we make them the object of our affection. Such was the case with a man named Phineas T. Barnum. You might know him as the greatest showman. Any greatest showman fans out there? Remember this film? Okay. Now, I talked about this uh, a couple, maybe last year when we did our movie series here at Hope Des Moines. And I remember preaching that sermon going, oh my word, this movie, this is so good. There's got to be at least a couple more sermons in there. And you think that the main point of this movie, the plot of this movie is, is how Phineas T. Barnum, P.T. Barnum, and, and the Barnum and Bailey Circus got going. And that's certainly it. But I think deeper than that, This is a textbook story, a musical, a movie on what it looks like to be rich in what really matters. And so growing up, P.T. Barnum is is dirt poor with his entire family. And he chases his dream and eventually as an adult, he starts this house of amusement and eventually becomes the circus. And then this this phenomenon takes over and and he becomes rich and famous and he's finally able to to buy a mansion uh, for his wife and live this lavish lifestyle. And he's convinced that he can finally prove that he's worth it and that he has value and worth and his identity is wrapped up in his fame and his fortune. And he can finally prove to the New York elite that he's worth something. And in this first clip you're gonna see from the film, he prepares to leave his wife and his girls to pursue fame and fortune again to be gone for months, and his wife reminds him, you can be rich. You can have your grains, 
your, your bins full of grain and still miss what matters most? Let's take a look. It's easy to say that we don't need all these other things to be happy, but live completely differently. Oh yeah, John, I know, I know I shouldn't run after all these other things, but, but we do. Scripture explains this kind of lifestyle when we're chasing everything else except a relationship with God. It's as if we're chasing after the wind. You know how ridiculous that looks. To think that what we're looking for to fill that void, that angst, that, that deep need for satisfaction in our lives is everywhere out there when the answer might be right in front of you. What Barnum hadn't realized, what the man in Luke chapter 12 missed was the truth of Jesus' words just a couple chapters before in the gospel of Luke. Jesus says this, and let's read it together. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul and you miss what matters most? See, a lot of us are not monetarily rich but all of us can miss what matters most, and that's what this story is about. So, John, what's, what's the answer? I mean, how do, we, how do we move forward in this? What's the opposite? How do we combat this idolatry in our lives? It's this. It's declaring every day over your family, over your kids, over your marriage, over the relationships that are in your lives, over your coworkers, over your money, your possessions, everything that you have. It's declaring over all of those things, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Not a distraction from the main thing that we try to make in our lives. He is the main thing. And we do that not just with our words, but our actions. What would it look like for us to say, you know, I love my spouse. I love my kids. I love my hobbies. I, I love my comfort zone. I love nice things. I like having nice things. But you know what? Jesus is better. I love my hobbies, I love my titles, I love my position. Jesus is better. And the most loving thing that I can do for my spouse, the most thing that I can do, uh, the most loving thing I can do for my future spouse, not me, I'm gonna stick with one spouse uh, for now, but for you, your, your future spouse, your kids, the most loving thing I can do for my kids, for my coworkers, the best investment that you can make in your future is to make Jesus your priority, to make Jesus your purpose and make him your sense of security and worth, essentially to be rich in God. And that's available for every single one of us today because that's the only thing that's going to last. And that's what the man in the story missed. When we believe that Jesus has taken care of our eternity for us, that death has literally, by the power of the cross, that death has been put to death. When, eternity is a really long time, and our lives here on earth are like gone. In, in, in a glimpse, in a whisper, eternity is for. What's your plan for forever? What's your plan for eternity? And when we have eternity secured for us, and we know that because of Jesus' death and resurrection that we'll live in him forever, then we can live our lives in reverse, and now I can be all in. I can live today. I can be fully present in my marriage and with my kids and with my coworkers and my job, and I can pour into it with everything I got because I know where my hope and my future is found. And I don't have to find my identity in my job. And I don't have to find my identity in how good of a parent that I think I've been that week. And I don't have to find my identity in if I'm running with the right crowd 
or not. You see, only when you believe that your death has been dealt with can you start to truly live. Only when you believe that your death has been dealt with can you start to truly live. Think about it this way. Sometimes we need a visual to help us think about this. We get busy with a lot of different things. I hear people say all the time, isn't it funny? You ask, hey, how you doing? Keeping busy? As if that's the main point. Yeah, I run around ragged and we burn ourselves out and run our kids you know, down to the ground. But yeah, everything's really great. We're busy. Maybe that's not the point. It's easy to fill our lives with all sorts of things and they're good and they're important. I mean, if this jar represents your capacity in life, your week, a month in your life, we fill it with, you know, we got some sand up here with these really, really tiny pebbles and grains of sand and things that are important, but maybe just not the main thing. And then there's some other things that are really good that, that are up on that list. I mean, your kids and your family and your parents and your job and college football on Saturdays, all these really high important things, right, that we put into our lives. And so we think, wow, you know, we're just getting really busy and we're in a busy season of life right now. By the way, I've talked to people in six different decades in our church that have said to me, I'm in a really busy season of life right now. What does that tell you? Okay, maybe there's never going to be a perfect time to get your priorities straight. And we fill our lives with all these, and all these good things, some big, some small, our schedules get full. We run the kids around, we look up and a week has passed and a month has passed and years have passed. And then decades have passed. And we realize my four, five or six year old is now 14, 15, 16. My 14, 15, six year old is now in their thirties or 40s or wherever you're at today. And all of a sudden, whoa, life just got really full. I mean, th this is full. There's not a lot of room for anything else. Sorry, we're jam-packed. Who told you to be jam-packed? Who, 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 who calls the shots for you on what fills up your life? What are your priorities? What decisions you make? And the, the problem with that is that we've got this chock-full life, and then we realize, oh man, I haven't answered the first-order questions of life I don't actually know who I am <laughs> apart from my job, apart from parenting, apart from caring for my parents. I, I, I don't actually, I'm not satisfied with life. That's why I work so many hours. That's why my self-esteem is, is at an all-time low because I don't, I don't know who I am and I can't find satisfaction. And no, no, I haven't figured out this heaven and eternity stuff. No, no, I don't have time to, to slow down and rest and take a Sabbath as we're commanded to, to, to slow down and be together as a family and make weekly worship a priority. I, I don't have time to, to put in those big rocks and we, we try to fit them in and there's just not room. They kind of overflow with the time. You can't put a lid on it. You can never say at the end of your day or at the end of your week, it is finished. <laughs> I did it and I'm at peace because there's never enough room for the things that actually matter most. Well, Jesus has a different idea that can actually fill our soul. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Let's read it together. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I think one of the reasons that we fill our lives so full and we forget the big rocks is when we think about all this other stuff, well, I've got to get it in and I've got to meet all these needs and I've got to shuttle my kids around and we've got to do all these things and we've got to have all these experiences because if we don't, we're going to miss the good life. And we think all of these other things are the good life and God, I, I, we can't make you a priority in our lives right now. We're too busy because I don't want to miss out on the joy. I don't want to miss out on the fun. I don't want to miss out on the satisfaction. And Jesus says, I've got it for you right here to put first things first 
and we're going to rest as a family. So when people ask us how you doing, keeping busy, maybe someday you'll say, no. And it's one of the best decisions we ever made as a family. We slow down on the weekends and we worship together. And I took ownership of my kids' spiritual developments and I'm pouring into them, not as a perfect parent, (laughs) as a broken, imperfect parent. And I'm loving my kids well. And I'm making my family a priority and I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm having a relationship with God and I, I know where my life is headed and I know the kind of legacy and impact I want to leave on this earth when I'm gone. And I put the big rocks first. And now I'm freed up to do all these other things. And I can invest in my job and my relationships. And I can be busy and have difficult weeks. And I can pour into them. And it's all going to come together because I'm making the most important thing first. I'm putting that first in my schedule. And as it turns out, the way that Jesus wired you up is that everything suddenly fits. Because you put the big rocks first. And you're not going to miss out on anything. You don't have to worry about missing out when you put first things first, except getting really dirty hands. But other than that, everything's really good. Jesus is saying, I want to steal your joy. I want to give you joy. This is what I want you to take home today is this statement. Live in the day, but measure in eternity. Parents, maybe we need to hear that today. We've got a four and six-year-old at home. And about 10 years ago, a a mentor wrote me that in a note. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect for my 20s. Live in the day, measure in eternity. And then I got to my 30s, and we had a couple kids. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect for my 30s. And now I'm a couple years away from 40. I'm thinking, this is perfect for your 40s. Live in the day, measure in eternity. What do we mean by that? It's this. We live in a culture of immediacy. We, we, I mean, to give you a picture of this, uh, we had a busy week. We had a busy day uh, last week, and so we, uh, we got our kids McDonald's. Don't judge, okay? Um, <laughs> parents, you've been there. Can I get an amen? Like, okay, I don't want to. Okay, McDonald's. Happy meals for everybody. Okay, so, but we live in a culture of immediacy, and we can't wait. So the drive-through, I can't possibly wait 45 seconds in the drive-through, so we mobile order ahead of time so we can pull up and just pick up our happy meals, because heaven forbid we make our kids wait 45 seconds for anything right? That's a silly example, but we live in a culture of immediacy. And it's so easy, not just Happy Meals, it's so easy to let our decisions and our priorities be dictated by the latest trend. And we put on what I call the immediacy blinders. And we live like this, and we say, what's everybody saying on Facebook? What's, what's the latest, what's trending on Twitter? What's, what's the latest political gossip? What, what's Fox News saying? What's CNN saying? What, what everybody else is doing? What were all the other young families doing? What, what am I doing? What's the latest hip trend? The problem is when we have the blinders on, we can't see what really matters. We can't see eternity. And we chase the good life when the good life is right in front of us. That's what the man in the story missed. And some of you are saying, but, but, but John, I, I can't seek first the kingdom of God and make that a priority because I've got bills to pay and we've got kids to get to activities and, and raise and we've got to put food on the table and I've got to go to my job and all of that. Yes. When the big rocks are first, then everything else finds its proper place. You can live in the day because your hope and your future is secure. And your hope suddenly is not based on your bank account, your job title. And get this, moms and dads of any age, Suddenly, my value and my worth is not based 
on the opinions of other parents on my parenting skills. Praise God for grace. I don't have to be a perfect parent. I'm an imperfect parent that's learning to receive God's grace. I don't have to have it all together because I already had my identity established by God. Parents live in the day, but measure in the decades, measure in eternity. Parents, ask yourself, what's going to matter 10, 20, 40, 50 years from now? That my kid was better than everybody else's? That you kept up with all the other young families and what they're doing? Or that beyond a shadow of a doubt, your children know their identity in Jesus Christ? That they know who they are, regardless of where they go and what they do, that their identity is found in Christ? Live in the day, but measure in the decades and ultimately eternity. So how do you do that? in a very practical sense. So let me give you a little tool here. As we look at a new set of questions, I want to show you this chart as it compares living in an immediate way to an eternal way. This is something you can take home with you. If it's too much to write down, just get out your phone and snap a picture. We change our questions and how we live. If I'm living in a culture of immediacy, I'm constantly asking, what will people think if I do this or I don't do that? If I make this decision or don't make that decision, in an eternal perspective, we're constantly asking, no, 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 what does God think? What, is, what does God say? If I'm living in immediacy, I'm saying, what feels good to me right now? <laughs> what, what feels good right now? In an eternal perspective, we say, no, actually, what's good and true? If I'm living for the, for the day, I'm constantly asking, well, what is everybody else doing? And I'll just go along with that. In an eternal perspective, it's, no, actually, what's the road that leads to life that's actually going to fill me up? If I'm living in an immediate mindset. It's, it's what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of it? In eternal perspective, I'm saying, what am I doing for others? Because I want my life to live on after me. Well, they were really busy. Well, they worked a lot of hours. Let it be said of us that we loved our, loved our kids well. We loved our families well. And we had a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's what all I want. All the other stuff you can't take with you. And finally, in an immediate sense, we ask, do I know the latest information? Am I up to date on what's trending? Do I know what's hip? From an eternal perspective, we ask a different question. Do I know the lasting truth? The capital T truth. And what we'll find is that if we're going to live in that second column, that right-hand column over there, it requires a different kind of life, and it requires a new set of disciplines. And I would define discipline simply as this for us today. Discipline is choosing what you need most over what you want now. Choosing what you need most over what you want now. And that could be true for popularity. That could be true for food, for our relationships, for pleasure, for substances, for your sexuality, for money, for tithing, any of those things. In a very practical sense, if I want a thriving marriage, I'm going to pursue my spouse. Maybe do something like marriage night and come, just try it. If you don't like it, you can leave. That's fine, but just try it. What could, what could go wrong? Come make it a priority. Continue to date after you get married. Don't fall off the wagon in that way. If I want my kids to know God in a personal way, I'm going to step up and I'm going to lead them spiritually because they can't be what they can't see. Yes, we have an amazing kids program here at the church, but that's meant to come alongside you as you invest in your kids. We have a third grade Bible class tomorrow night. And it's not just for third graders, it's for third through fifth graders. And if you have a child in that age range, come to this class with them and we teach you the basics of the Bible together. Just come, just show up. 
Some of you are like, John, I'm so tired of shallow churches. I'm so tired of superficial relationships. We'll dig a little bit deeper. Take a step of faith. Maybe it's the life group experience in a couple weeks. Come and get connected with some other people. Ultimately, the question is, is your heart aligned with God's purposes for you? And I'm just so blessed and so honored that not just individually, but as a church, that's who you are. Your heart was on full display last Sunday as we had our special congregational vote on this new church building. And if you missed it, if you weren't around, if you're getting up to speed, you voted unanimously, 154 to zero, to purchase the facility at 2500 University to be our brand new church home. Praise God. can't tell you how excited I am about that to continue to grow as maybe, you know, if there's any indication that we're full here today, we've been in overflow in the lobby and in the loft at both of our services today as well. And so uh, not, not only that, but we're excited to have dedicated children's space, dedicated student space, place for your kids to grow up, for your families to plug in and, and make hope your church home and grow up together and say, this is my church home. And so we're going to need your help with that, and there's much more to come as well. But you may look at this and just say, well, John, those are just numbers. Those are just votes or whatever, but I believe it's so much more. Last weekend's vote was a statement on your heart as a church. And your heart as a church, you're all in for Jesus and his mission. It was actually a vote to not play it safe, <laughs> but to expand our mission and to continue to serve the city in the most effective way that we can. As a church, you're living in that column, that eternal column for eternal purposes. And secondly, that vote was a statement on your unity as a church. Unity is one of the most underrated but most essential parts of a healthy church. Are we all different? Yeah. Are we a pretty diverse church? Yeah, with our own preferences and ideas and, and opinions and backgrounds and styles. And is that good? Yes, it is good and healthy for a church in that way, but you are unified in what matters most, and that's the mission of Jesus. And so Hope Des Moines, as we move forward in this ex what's going to be an extremely exciting year as a church, keep living in the day, but measure in eternity. Keep living in the day. Be fully present with those that you love most, but measure in eternity. And that's ultimately what P.T. Barnum discovers at the end of The Greatest Showman. I told you it was a deep movie. <laughs> After traveling the world, meeting the queen, filling his barns essentially with more grain, with fame and fortune, he returns to his family and realizes that the good life is not out there somewhere. It's actually been there the whole time, right in front of him. Everything he's ever wanted and everything he's ever needed, right here. So as we take a look at this last clip, you'll see the, the, the song is called, This is the Greatest Show. And it's easy to think that the big show is, you know, in the big scale productions and all the noise and the dancing. And what you'll find is the very heartbeat of this movie is the very final scene, which we'll take a look at now. Take a look. Slow down, Mom. Slow down, Dad. Slow down, Christian. Everything you ever want and everything you ever need could it be that it's right here in front of you today? Maybe you came today to watch your kid be cute and sing, and that's awesome. We love it that you're here, and we love your kids so much. And the greatest gift we could ever give them is to keep pointing them to Jesus 
so that they can look up, up, up and know he's real. But God wants it to be real in you first. For P.T. Barnum, it was his kids, it was his girls. It was not missing another moment of their life. For you, it's the love of Jesus Christ that is everything you ever want and everything you ever needed is right here in front of you. This past week, my wife Tiffany and I were uh, doing what we do once in a while, writing some things down in our, our kids' journal. We're so fancy that it's a Word document. Because <clears throat> we're busy, and it's hard to find time to do that. But we made a decision about three years ago, we're not going to miss another moment. And for some of you, maybe that moment was here this morning. It's like, oh, my, my kid's growing up so fast. I just want to... I just never want this moment to end. I just want to capture these moments. And so we try to on our phones as much as we can. And so we go through and we try to remember like these little fun things we don't want to forget about our kids and these quirky little moments. And so we just write them down based on the season. And we were kind of reflecting back and, you know, we don't give our kids everything that they want. We're starting to get into that stage of life. But so-and-so at school has this and they have this and they have this at home. And okay. We are sitting doing this list and our living room is a mess with piles of laundry everywhere. The kitchen's a mess with dishes piling up in the sink. We'd have a, a really tough week with our kids. Discipline-wise, it'd been a rough couple weeks for our marriage and arguments. Yes, the pastor and his wife have arguments. And yet in the middle of all of that, in all of these memories... We just looked at each other and without having to say a word, it's like the feeling in the room was, we're rich. We're, we're rich. <laughs> and it has zero to do with our bank account. And it has zero to do with our house. And it has zero to do with how good a parents we feel like we are. We're rich. We know Jesus Christ. We believe that our kids hopefully know that in the depths of who they are. And that for the last 11 years, we've had the honor and privilege of literally watching God change people's lives in front of our very eyes here at the church. Nothing can top that. Nothing's ever gonna be better than that. Everything we ever want, everything we ever need is right here in front of us. Don't miss what's right in front of you today relationships with the people sitting around you of an imperfect church. There is no perfect church. We don't have it all together. But there's a church sitting around you today of broken, imperfect people that are learning what it means to follow Jesus. And most importantly, don't miss what's right in front of you. A God who loves you. The title of today's message, I'll wait to the end to tell you. The title of my sermon today is How to Get Rich Quick. And you can. Know the love of Jesus Christ today. Not just for the cute kids. No, you know it. And let it all the way in. Soak in this moment. Soak in this chance. Say, Jesus, I want to live with you every single day. I don't want to play church. I don't want to play religion. I don't want to go through the motions. Know the love of Jesus Christ. Let it all the way in today. And then let it overflow and share it with the world around you. That's our mission as a church is to major in the majors, to be unified around Jesus Christ and his mission. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. 
everything you ever want and everything you ever need right here in front of you today. Don't miss it. It's the love of Jesus Christ. So we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to sing about it. So wherever you are, in the lobby, upstairs, down here, let's stand together as a church and let's sing for the love of God.